0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the honor to speak with Dr. Wesley Ryan. Dr. Ryan is a board-certified psychiatrist and addiction psychiatrist practicing on the west side of Los Angeles. He attended UC Irvine for medical school, went on to UCLA San Fernando Valley for psychiatry residency, and then University of Washington for an addiction psychiatry fellowship. During his training, he started researching ketamine as a legal psychedelic with healing potential, going on to author several articles and a book chapter, as well as giving talks on the subject, eventually starting a clinic where he provides ketamine-assisted psychotherapy along with other mental health services. Additionally, he has worked in various research settings, accumulating published articles and presentations on such topics as ketamine for treatment-resistant depression, cannabis, psychedelics, club drugs, hallucinogens, and addiction. Today, we talk about his process of ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Welcome, Dr. Ryan.
1: Hi there, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so I've been wanting to have you on Mind Stories for a while because your specialty area, I think, is of great interest and of growing interest in the community, and that is use of things like ketamine and psychedelics to assist in psychotherapy. So I'm happy to talk with you about this today.
1: Yeah, it's a a super exciting sort of development in psychiatry Uh, in the last like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. It's really kind of reemerged after a long hiatus. Probably a lot of the listeners or viewers are aware like the 60s, there was a lot of enthusiasm surrounding these agents and their benefits and a lot of a lot of the sort of pundits today view it as it sort of went too far and it wasn't, wasn't a, I guess how to say it, like a balanced enough sort of view on it and it, it caused kind of a backlash. So it's, it's really neat to have these substances, these medicines available now again.
0: And how did you become interested in this part of psychiatry?
1: Well, so I was in psychiatry residency and started hearing about ketamine and it's sort of, came to me as a surprise that ketamine is a psychedelic. I don't know if, how common that experience is to people, but I'd always heard about magic mushrooms or LSD or mescaline, you know, having read like the The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley and known about the history of Timothy Leary and all that. But ketamine was kind of new to me. But the more I read about it, the more I saw that there's so much Really compelling data behind how well it addresses depression and specifically treatment resistant depression where nothing else has worked. So that got me really intrigued and I got kind of deeper and deeper into it. And when I was in, in my last couple years of residency, I ended up writing a pretty comprehensive review paper on ketamine at that time, on uh, sort of the state of things as, as it applies to treating depression. So I got really knowledgeable about it that way. That was kind of a small tangent. I was initially wanting to do a clinical trial on residency, but it was a little bit too challenging to get everything to fall into place. So I ended up settling on that. But anyway, after finishing residency and doing an addiction psychiatry fellowship, I ended up opening up a private practice and starting that work on my own, doing ketamine and psychotherapy together as a treatment for depression and all kinds of other stuff.
0: And I know you work with ketamine as as well as other psychedelics. So how do you decide which one to use and what does that process look like?
1: Well, to be clear, I guess I only prescribe ketamine and a lot of people in terms of what psychedelics are out there, a lot of people contact me saying, hey, can you provide me MDMA or psilocybin or LSD? And I don't do any of those things because I do it all above board. The only way to access those other psychedelics in a legal manner is, is to do it through a clinical trial. So as probably a lot of people are aware, there's the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy clinical trial that's currently in phase three that's being run by MAPS, and that's to to look at treatment of PTSD. And it's, it's had really good results so far. I'm actually a... I do adherence rating is what it's called for that clinical trial, sort of watching videos of therapy going on and sort of critiquing saying, is this meeting the the psychotherapy sort of manual or is it diverging from it? So I'm pretty knowledgeable about that aspect of it, but really in terms of doing things legally, our options are relatively constrained to to get it.
0: So to clarify, so therapists who offer psychedelic assisted therapy, the question is how those people are actually getting those substances.
1: Yeah, there there is uh, quite a few people who are offering different psychedelics and labeling it as psychotherapy, and they're not doing it in a legal manner. They're oftentimes, they don't have qualifications in terms of training for, for psychotherapy. They're not like NFTs or LCSWs or MDs. Some of them are, of course, but it seems like the preponderance of individuals doing that, that I'm aware of, they don't have that kind of formal training. So that to me presents a little bit of a problem because you really do want somebody who's got that kind of training and that rigor and knows how to best utilize and leverage psychotherapy. A lot of people can access that sort of in that illicit manner and do, whether it's going through like an underground guide or a lot of people simply just grow their own psilocybin, you know, magic mushrooms.
0: Got it. So. I'm assuming kind of you're thinking that relatively soon these other psychedelic substances will be approved and they will, there will be more therapy like above board in terms of treatments associated with that.
1: I think it's a million dollar question is what that's going to look like. There seems to be pretty broad consensus that psilocybin as well as MDMA will go through the FDA approval process successfully and probably be available within three years, approximately. But how that's going to look, how insurance coverage is going to be for that, what the cost is going to be for that, what the, like, the time commitment, like how many therapists need to be present, all that is a little bit unclear to me. And I don't think it's it's that clear to a lot of people either. Mm-hmm. The MDMA-assisted psychotherapy trials have the most sort of structure and and have been around for the longest. So so that's, as far as that medicine, the MDMA, it's likely going to be with two therapists and it's going to be, I think, about 40 hours of psychotherapy is the entire process that a patient or study participant is going to go through. And I imagine psilocybin will have somewhat similar sort of uh, structure that's required. So to be clear, it's, yeah, those medications are going to be approved by the FDA probably, However, there's going to be that whole structure of the psychotherapy that goes along with it that's going to be mandated. It's not going to be just a, here's some MDMA, see you in a month, like you and I as psychiatrists might do with, like, let's say Prozac or an SSRI.
0: Right. Well, let's get into so your work. So you work with ketamine. It is an FDA-approved drug, right? And you mm-hmm. work with ketamine in the context of psychotherapy as well. So I'm curious how that works and, and what the process is.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the, the cool thing about ketamine is it's been around for a long time. It got approved by the FDA, geez, I want to say like late 60s, early 70s, for use in anesthesia to put people under for surgery. So they don't feel pain, they're not aware of the you know incisions and whatnot. And it more recently got discovered as having this potent antidepressant effect. So now it's being used by a lot of psychiatrists and other physicians, but off-label is what it's called, meaning that the FDA never approved it for mental health indications, but it's being used that way anyway. And that's something that any doctor can do. You're probably aware as psychiatrists, psychiatrist, there's so many medications out there that are used off-label in this way in psychiatry that maybe like one of the SSRIs, I can't, can't recall which, isn't approved, let's say, for PTSD, but it's oftentimes used because there's good evidence for it. So it's kind of a similar thing, but in the eyes of the FDA, it's considered experimental That's like a useful thing for people to keep in mind. There's also the stereoisomer component of ketamine, S-ketamine, which came to market, I think that was 2019. And that's a nasal spray version. That got approved in a particularly structured way for in-office treatments of that nasal spray. So what I do is a little bit different from those things. I do ketamine as an intramuscular injection with people. Have them here come into the office we do that injection, people have that psychedelic experience where oftentimes it's pretty difficult for them to talk and kind of articulate their thoughts at the time when the, when the drug is really kind of working in their system. And that, that maybe lasts for about 20 to 30 minutes after they get the injection. But then afterwards, they're kind of coming back to the room, so to speak, after the psychedelic effects have kind of subsided a bit enough to the point that they can talk and engage in a conversation again. And in that time, people seem to have a lot lot easier time with processing and talking about difficult emotions, difficult experiences, traumatic experiences. So it's it's a particularly useful time to do psychotherapy with people.
0: Do they remember?
1: They definitely remember that latter portion I was talking about, the psychotherapy aspect of it, that conversation between myself and them. The ketamine experience itself is pretty weird and abstract. And at the higher doses, it does have an amnestic effect. So a lot of times at a high dose of ketamine, people are sort of saying like, well, that was pretty cosmic and pretty profound, but I can't really put into words what exactly happened. At the lower doses, people have more of a, they're able to construct more of a narrative about what it was like what sort of scenes popped up for them. But the easiest way to think about Academy experience is kind of that of, of like dreaming when people are sleeping and sometimes dreams are are kind of nonlinear and might be just a flash of an image and suddenly people find themselves somewhere else. So there is certainly that that kind of narrative story trip quality to the experience too.
0: And do people feel comfortable leaving the office after and questions how long are the therapy sessions and can they just kind of get in their car afterwards and go home? I mean, what are the logistics of this?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So you don't want to drive after getting a ketamine injection or taking ketamine. It messes with people's sense of coordination and balance. And probably the most profound effects on that are in the in like the 1 to 2 hours after the injection, but it's pretty much uniform that prescribers working with these substances tell people, don't drive until you've had a night's rest. So if somebody were to come in today for a ketamine session with me, I would say, don't be in a car where you're driving until tomorrow. And so logistically, people have to have a friend or sometimes like a rideshare to take them home afterwards. The other thing is not having food in their stomach because at higher dose of ketamine, there's a theoretical risk of aspirating, which could cause really bad medical problems like lung infections, pneumonia, that kind of stuff.
0: So how long are your sessions?
1: I do either 90 minutes or two hours. I'm aware of other practices where people do two and a half, three hours. It's sort of a balance of giving people enough time to talk and have that psychotherapy component be really complete, but also reducing costs for people and improving accessibility. So for pretty much everybody I see is either 90 minutes or two hours long.
0: And are the follow-ups, I could imagine there could be some utility in then after that experience at a next session discussing what came up in the session when they're not on kind of using the ketamine though, is my guess, or do you yeah. give ketamine to administer it each time they come in?
1: Yeah. So you're kind of referring to that idea of preparation and integration, those sessions where the idea would be to talk about, well, what are you looking forward to the experience? What is that going to be like for you? What are you hoping to cover? Looking back at that last experience, how was that for you? How has it affected you? How has it changed things for you? Has it impacted relationships? How I sort of manage that is during that 90 minute to two hour sessions where I have with people we take that first maybe 30 to 40 minutes to talk about sort of in future sessions, we talk about sort of how the past sessions were, how they inform the sessions coming up. And in that last half hour of the appointment, last 30, 40 minutes, the point we talk about, well, how was that session today? And in practice, I do offer people coming in or meeting in between actual ketamine dosing visits and some people do take me up on that. A lot of people end up finding that they have enough of an avenue to sort of discuss everything that comes up for them during those sessions. And for example, one person I, I've been seeing for two, three years at this point, he comes in once a week for a ketamine session. So each time we meet, we talk about, well, how was that last one? How How has this longitudinal process been for you? And usually has that ketamine dose and experience. And then we also talk about the experience of the session that day. One of the reasons we structure it that way is because in general, we know that ketamine in terms of the direct antidepressant benefit works best if it's kind of a cluster of treatments at first together. And that's typically two times a week for three to four weeks. So most most clinics do six treatments, Some, some do four, some do eight but something around the neighborhood of six seems to be most effective in sort of really reducing people's depression in terms of that direct biochemical ketamine antidepressant effect. And then having maintenance treatments periodically afterwards keeps, in terms of that non-psychotherapeutic, but direct ketamine antidepressant effects, that keeps it going if people come in, let's say every three to five weeks periodically. So this whole thing is complicated a little bit by the fact that Ketamine itself is a really potent antidepressant. Psychotherapy is really a potent antidepressant too. And this is a combination of the two. So it's it's a bit of an art of mixing the two and making the right. most accessible for people.
0: And that's what it actually was kind of what I was going to ask next, this question about there's a lot of clinics who offer ketamine, but not combined with the focus on psychotherapy, right? And so it sounds like yeah. what you do is a little bit different,
1: Yes. Yes. There's a number of clinics out there, mostly run by anesthesiologists and ER doctors who are more familiar with using ketamine in those kinds of settings, but aren't familiar with using it in terms of the mental health population. We don't have training in psychotherapy. And it, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing out there because a lot of people want to get ketamine to try it out, to see if it's going to help their depression. And I certainly see the allure of going to one of these clinics that are maybe offering appointments at all times a day, and it's a little easier to get in with them, and perhaps a little—I was going to say less expensive—but I actually don't think that they—they tend to be perhaps even more expensive than a lot of psychiatrist practices. But they certainly don't offer that mental health component of it. It's basically coming in for ketamine, getting an infusion, which is like an IV slow drip over 40 minutes. Some of them do intramuscular injections. The IM and the IV infusion are basically the same in terms of the effects, but what they offer doesn't really have any psychotherapy in most cases. So it's kind of a missed opportunity. And furthermore, it's there is so much there in the ketamine experience that can be leveraged that sort of post-ketamine state where people are maybe basking in the afterglow and More insightful and looking at things in a different way that can really generate a lot of insights and help people, which sort of not getting addressed, not getting tapped into with anesthesia or ER side of things, that's saying, oh, well, you're dissociating, let's treat that side effect.
0: So another question is kind of your typical patient. I mean, I know you can't talk about specific cases, but What would be kind of an ideal candidate for this type of combo ketamine psychotherapy treatment?
1: Yeah, a lot of people have come to ketamine as sort of an alternative to SSRIs after they've tried different medications and found that either the SSRIs have intolerable or unpleasant side effects, so they just plain don't work as well as they're advertised or should. In reality, as a psychiatrist, I mean, I do plenty of clinical work that doesn't involve ketamine as well. And I, I certainly recognize that some people, they get prescribed an SSRI and it's, it works really, really well for them. They get really great results and they don't have side effects. And for them, it's like, geez, there's no reason to seek out these other treatments that are maybe a little bit more complicated and expensive. But it seems like more common that the SSRIs aren't ideal for everybody. So there's certainly a huge amount of people where SSRIs don't work or they've tried different things and they're just kind of fed up and kind of tired with psychiatry and, and what we're offering. So ketamine and, and psychedelics kind of offer a new treatment modality, a new route. So I'd say it's, it's really the people who things haven't worked for that well before. Mm. And in actuality, when people come to me, if they haven't tried that other stuff, I usually try and steer them to, to some of those things first. Because the fact is it's it's not... It's not the most convenient thing to come in two times a week for, for about a month and have to not be able to drive afterwards and have to abstain from eating each of those sessions. So there's there's a lot of time and, and financial cost that goes into doing one of these treatments. And also,
0: you, what are the risks? What were kind of basic risks that you tell people about? I know you touched on some of them. Yeah.
1: Well, the most common side effects with ketamine would be like an increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure, nausea, occasionally vomiting. With the cardiac sort of stuff, you really want to make sure nobody has unstable heart disease, like a recent stroke or recent heart attack or uncontrolled high blood pressure or hypertension. Those are probably the biggest issues I look out for. You want to avoid anybody who's pregnant or breastfeeding as well, any women. It is a pretty safe medication to be quite honest. It's used in a lot of countries around the world where medical services aren't as comprehensive as in the United States. So ketamine is extremely safe, which is really kind of a positive for it. That yes, people go under, they go in this sort of of out-of-body experience where they're not present in the room and they have these psychedelic experiences that can be really weird, difficult to understand, difficult to integrate in terms of physical issues that come from the ketamine. Most people, if they experience something they don't like, it's the nausea or sometimes the vomiting. Now, of course, there's other theoretical risks that go along with ketamine. We know that people who've been abusing ketamine, who've been using a lot of it for years, like daily use of high doses of stuff they bought on the streets, they can develop some bladder problems and abdominal issues, abdominal pain from the bladder, really bad situations that may actually require like a bladder transplant or a lot of surgery that goes into it. We haven't really seen that in clinical use of ketamine. So in practice, that's something I haven't really noticed.
0: Well, it also brings me to ask, so what is the use in populations who have history of substance abuse?
1: Yeah, it, it's sort of a quandary with ketamine because some people are in fact addicted to ketamine and, and overuse it and use, you know, get into trouble with, like I mentioned, bladder issues and whatever else, and just their, their lives falling apart. And it is a very strange sort of combination that people can get addicted to ketamine and it ruin their lives and people can utilize ketamine as this treatment and it really improves their depression functioning. And it's really the how it's being done. So when people are coming into a clinic and have that supervision and are using it in those discrete doses that it's not every day, it works really well for depression. When people are using it as like a way to, to kind of cope with their emotions and not getting the appropriate outlets to process those emotions and to get help, then yeah, it can be really destructive.
0: Interesting. This is such a fascinating topic to me. And you answered a few questions I had that I didn't know about ketamine. And I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and the work that you do.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a pleasure to be here and, and to give some information out just to I think there's so much curiosity right now. about. I think there,
0: yes, about. there for sure is. I'm going to make sure that on the episode description, we mm-hmm. have your information. So if the listeners is interested in learning a little bit about more about your process and the work you do, they can do that. Are there other resources you think would be helpful to add to that? Or?
1: Hmm. My website is great. I've, I've got a lot of information on there. Links to, to other people I think are interesting. Other organizations that, that do useful work. I'm working with a psychotherapist as well to kind of expand, to be able to offer ketamine in different ways. In addition to just doing intramuscular injections, we're doing it so that people are prescribed lozenges and taking these lozenges and troches, as they're called, sublingually with the psychotherapist. So there's different implementations that we're working on too.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's such an exciting time with all, these, with all this coming out and people becoming more interested in in these sorts of treatments it's definitely an exciting time for our field
1: i really yeah i really wonder what it's going to be like in five or ten years at this point
0: yeah all right well thanks for being here i appreciate you your time
1: you bet thanks for having me
0: thanks bye this has been mind stories with me josephine mcnary of cal psychiatry with online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.